You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. And my name is Matt Walsh, and joining me after this wonderful grand final weekend that we've just had is Jake Michaels from ESPN. Jake, how are you going? Uh, pretty good. Um, a little bit sad that the year's finished, but um, at the same time, a little bit relieved, you know, to, to move on now to, to, to new things. And uh, we'll be, or, you know, it won't take long before we start discussing 2021. Well, that's the good thing is that because the, the year ran a month later than normal, Neil, that we're probably a month sooner to more footy. <laughs> yeah, it's always a double-edged sword at the end of the year. You, you get into this business because you love footy. Um, so, you know, you, you can't get enough of it, but also, you know, you're, you're like hamsters on a wheel there towards the end of the year and, you, you know, you, you're working so hard and, and it's great fun. But, yeah, when you get through to the end of the season, it's actually quite a, a little bit of relief there as well. Absolutely. Christian Jolly from Champion Data, this must be the time of year that you enjoy because you won't be having to pay too much attention to all the draft and free agency or, or, or um, trade moves and, and you can kind of relax and, and take stock from the season and look ahead to 2021. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, don't know about relax, but it's an, it's an exciting time of the year. I mean, we start to sort of, yeah, review the season. So you sort of deep dive into the numbers, each team, what they did right, wrong, you know, um, and how their seasons went and things like that. So yeah, you sort of, because, yeah, you're not trying to sort of just churn out the content for the next game and who's playing who on the weekend. It's really a deep dive into each team and each player for the next uh, two or three months. Uh, but, yeah, no, Champion Data does still have a lot of involvement with the draft and the draft software. So I know the guys um, uh, on other teams are working hard on that. So still, um, still, yeah, the hamster's still on the wheel at Champion Data. <laughs> Very good. Uh, well, like I said, it is only a month later than normal, but 2020, the season is now finally done and dusted. Uh, I don't know if you guys see what I did there because Dustin Martin is uh, the Tiger King once again. I think you did that last year. (laughs) Are you sure you're not a dad, Matt? That's a dad joke. (laughs) Uh, Not that I know of. Uh, uh, Richmond fans are happy, no doubt, after, yes, their third flag in four years. It was a remarkable performance, guys. Um, The the turnaround was was 55 points. They were down uh, by 22 at one point and ended up winning by 31, which is... Pretty impressive, and that math doesn't stack up, but that's not why. No, 53. I'm going to correct you. I made that mistake too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, before we do get into the nitty-gritty, though, uh, of this week's podcast, something from the grand final we might not get to touch on, but piqued your interest, Jake? Um, well, not so much piqued my interest, but something that I that I did notice was um, Damien Hardwick. He, you know, his side was really outplayed, particularly in the first quarter and a half but he just remained really calm like he didn't you didn't see a lot of screaming and yelling and he didn't look to be too concerned compare that to Craig Bellamy I don't know if you guys watched the NRL grand final and he was the last six minutes of that game I don't know how many chairs he kicked over in the box but it's very different to Hardwick just remain calm and I, I was really impressed by that obviously he just had faith in their team and the process and you know he was right to keep the faith and not Jake. get too carried away I think we might have um, talked in our group chat when we were watching and working at the grand final how relaxed the Tigers looked walking onto the ground as well. It looked like they were going for a Sunday stroll. And, you know, the, the, the cornerstone of that whole club just must be their relaxed, you know, how relaxed and, um, you know, not stressed they are. And they're going to the biggest game of the year and they, they're all having a laugh. It was, it was remarkable how, how they keep the calm. It showed me that they weren't too worried about the whole your dynasty thing. It was just kind of play at another game. We've already won two. It doesn't really matter if we lose. We've already tasted that success. Whereas Geelong, the the, the pressure was off. The deeper it went into the game, the more fumbly the Cats got and the better the Tigers looked. Absolutely. Um, The only thing they were really missing was a a Jack Higgins joke in the huddle before the first bounce. (laughs) (laughs) Neil, uh, something that piqued your interest from the grand final? Uh, Well, (laughs) I was staggered um, at Lee Matthews giving the wrong votes for the Norm Smith. He gave two votes, I think it was, to Nathan Broad as opposed to Jaden Short, um, which is just inexcusable. He said that he got a bit flustered at the end of the game and he wrote down the wrong name. But imagine if that cost a player a Norm... Imagine if there was like a two-vote swing and it cost someone a, a Norm Smith medal or missing out. I wonder whether the AFL would end up giving a second Norm Smith medal to the one that he should have done. And 
It's a little bit amateur hour, isn't it? Well, it's just not an excuse. You can't, you cannot use that as an excuse. Oh, I was a bit flustered. Well, then, if you're someone who's going to get flustered, lethal, don't vote for the, don't vote for the Norm Smith. Yeah, leave, it to, some, Look, leave honest, it to someone else. Honestly, guys, it is a mistake that could happen to anyone because uh, they're both, they're both surnames are five letters long. They both have O as oh, the third start letter, this. and they're both, start they're both this. ways of measuring someone somehow. They're, you know, you can be broad, you can be short. Like, I wonder if that's you know what went into his head. I, 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 I have no idea. You've been working on this since the grand final. <laughs> but you know what? Thank God for Dustin Martin because if he, you're right, Neil, if it had been close. Uh, this would have been a much bigger story and mm. poor old Lethal wouldn't have been able to own up as he did on Sunday morning um, and just sort of brush it off, really. Well, fair play Crazy. for actually... I didn't actually see that he'd, he'd um, kind of boned up to the mistake, but yeah. good on him, I guess. You know, you've got to... <laughs> Christian, <laughs> <laughs> something that you noticed from the grand final we might not get to talk about today. Um, yeah, well, quick one from the grand final. Just, uh, I think it has been highlighted a little bit, but the, the respect shown to Gary Ablett at the end of the game um, and, you know, even the, the, the little detail of they all took their premiership medals off and I think, you know, had them sort of behind their backs or in their hands are they uh, the Richmond players, that is, during the Guard of Honour. And again, it just, we talk about it a lot of times, but the, the football family and the football industry, the way it sort of pays respect to each other and, yeah, just... To take a moment for, for any player to deserve that, it's, it's Gary Ablett, who's just been a champion of the game. I'm sure there was a couple of Richmond players there who probably grew up idolising Gary Ablett and, um, you know, it'd be a big reason why a lot of um, Queensland kids would be playing as well, hopefully from his days up in the Gold Coast. So, yeah, just that touching tribute at the end of the game. So, well done, Richmond. But again, something that the AFL does do quite well is sort of honour the champions. And, um, yeah, no, very disappointing night for him overall. But, yeah, I think a very touching end to the... To the game. I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I was wondering this yesterday and, and uh, parts of Sunday as well. Is there any other league in the world where you often find that the opposition teams sort of do a guard of honour to a, a, a player leaving for the last time? I, does it happen? I'm not too sure about, I mean, it might happen in rugby league or in Australia, but like, does this happen elsewhere? I don't think it happens in the NFL. It doesn't happen in the NBA. Like we saw the last dance, the players walk off before the, the final whistle all the time. Premier League, football, European football. I'm not sure this happens. Like, it's, it's kind of a really good part of, of footy and, and Australian sporting culture, I think. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Uh, something I noticed. Uh, I'm not sure. Look, maybe I'm, I'm being a bit crotchety. And, and Neil, you're a parent, so you might disagree with me on this one. But do we really need to take the kids up to get the Premiership medal when you're getting, receiving the Premiership medal from, from whoever's handing them out? Because three or four Richmond players, Bashahooli, Jack Rebolt, Trent Cochin, a couple of others, like the slowing down, I, I, I'm thinking like a broadcaster, but they're, they're sort of dragging these kids along Just slowly upstairs. <laughs> yeah, I'm dragging it out now as well. But like, what, what is the point of taking your kids up with you to get a premiership medal? Just get the medal, go and celebrate with them afterwards. Oh, I agree it's... 100%. I reckon the only thing, the only sort of, the only part of it I'll, I'll understand is the fact that it was the whole year. They've been up in the hubs, they've had the family and it's kind of, it's, it's just such an unusual year. If this happened last year, I'd be definitely on your side saying, no, nah, just get on with it. You can go and see your family afterwards. But I just feel this year has just been... They've been away from home for half the year, basically. So, no, nah, give them a pass this year, Rick. Neil? We'll keep an eye out for next year. <laughs> it might be past their bedtime as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Just get them off to bed. <laughs> All right. Um, we've got plenty to chat about, plenty to dive into. It's kind of hard to know where to start. But uh, one of the most sort of divisive topics of conversation from the weekend was the night grand final aspect of it all um pretty simple question uh, neil i might start with you did you rate it uh, i'm still undecided and i think a one-off in, it, there were so many unusual elements to the grand final wasn't it the fact mm. it was away from the mcg away from victoria at night for the first time so it all felt very weird and alien for us, you know, in Victoria, you know, waiting around all day. And the fact that there was no parade, that, you know, it wasn't at the MCG. So I'll give it, I'll give it another, another year if they try and experiment with it again. I think um, the AFL would be smart to, to give it another year potentially, um, because I think it's too hard to make judgments on exactly, you know, what's happened um, being such an unusual season. So... I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, there were elements where I've got my reservations. And one of them was specifically, um, you know, a lot of kids are too too young to stay up at night to watch then. So if you're a young, one of my mates has got a young um, a Tiger supporter that, that was just way too late for him to stay up. And he said if it was a day grand final, he would have got swept up. And, he, you know, and they're the small things that can make a kid fall in love with the game. 
Yep. Um, but if they can't watch the grand final every year and they have to wait till the next morning and watch replays, it might sort of take the, the gloss off it for young kids. But I'd like the AFL to see, you know, take stock. Maybe if they want to do it again, do it for one year and at the MCG issue, I mean, we're back there next year and then make a decision. I think a one-off at the moment with, with everything that's happened this year might be a bit too much. Christian, you had some interesting points to make in our pre-podcast meeting about the day grand final and the night grand final and the, the debate uh, in that space. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just start with this year's grand final. I mean, a little bit of a, it's almost like karma didn't want us to have a grand final. And I sort of said that earlier. We had the stretcher. Um, we had the intruders run onto the ground. But it ended up being 123 minutes and 49 seconds, the match length. Um, so from first bounce to final siren which was 10 minutes longer, 10, 10 and a half minutes longer than any other game this year. So, um, so it was certainly a, a late one. If you wanted to test how late, you know, a grand final should finish, that was the one. But um, yeah, sort of just, again, I'd probably, if I had to vote, I'd vote on a day grand final. Um, that's what I grew up knowing and things like that. But I sort of took an outside look at it and just thought, well, why did we have a day grand final and why was it such, you know, part of tradition? And again, up until the 80s, um, early 90s, probably 90% of games were played on a Saturday afternoon, 2.10 start. Um, so therefore, our biggest game of the year at the end of the year was held at the traditional time slot that teams had played 70 to 90% of their games at that time. Um, and then looking at it this year, I know the fixture changed, but if you sort of open up the media guide and go back to the start of this year, Geelong was scheduled, uh, Richmond lost that. We were scheduled to play one Saturday day game this year, uh, the 210 time slot, and Geelong zero. Um, and again, that was just a quick look at those two teams. It's, it's no longer the traditional time slot. So if you think about the game and why we have it during the day, I think it's because that was where teams were expected to play football and that's where they play their best football. Now you're getting teams that are playing their first time. You know, if it had been a 210 grand final for Geelong in a normal season, that would have been the first time possibly they were playing at that time all year. So, again, from outside looking in, you'd say there has to be a, grand, a night grand final. That's when the majority of our games are played. I think we're up to maybe oh, 50, but... 50% being played at night now. So, again, when you look at it just from that space of when is footy played and what, what we, what's, what's the time of football, you'd think football is more of a night sport now, and that's just the way it's been sold to us or fixtured. But, yeah. Certainly the I might be throwing you under the bus here, um, but surely the Tigers and the Cats played some 110 starts, some 145 starts, and some... Um, some two ten starts. Like if you put all those three time slots together, they're still no, playing afternoon. Yeah, yeah, but early was one, so there was one one forty five, and then the the two ten. The next next starting time is four forty, which is the twilight. So that there, if you add one more to uh, to Geelong's number, and you know, no more to return number. So yeah, very rarely do teams and probably the best teams play during the day. Interesting. To back up that point, though. Come on, Jack. Grand, the grand final, correct me if I'm wrong, the grand final is usually a 2.30 start. Yeah, Although it's, it's a time that we never use for any other game. So it's like, all the as you say, the traditionalists say, no, we've got to have a day grand final, it's tradition. But they have no problem with having scheduling all the great games throughout the home and away season on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Like, it's rare that you'll see big, big games played during the day. You might get a Carlton-Collingwood game during the day or the Anzac Day games on during the day, obviously, but you don't get the big games that everyone's looking forward to of the top teams playing. They don't play on a Saturday afternoon anymore. You're right, and I that's found, the thing. And, see, uh, I, Jake, you, you would know, and this like listeners to this podcast would know, I probably last year and, and maybe even earlier this year, I have firmly been in the Give the Night Grand Final a Go camp, and having seen it, I'm now firmly out of that camp. Why? Because there's nothing... You, there's nothing like what we have here in, in this sport. Even the NRL, they play their Sunday night. I have no idea why they do it, but they play their Sunday night game. Uh, and, that's, and that's fine. Um, but we have this unique build-up where you can still have barbecues for lunch and everything, sit down, watch the first half. At halftime, you can go out on the street, play some street cricket or have a kick with your mates or whatever. Cricket. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we tend to do. Signaling of the changing of the, the season. <laughs> changing of the season. Hey, Carlton's been out of the... Uh, out of the <laughs> <laughs> out of the running for a long time. Um, and then, you know, after that, you can still make an evening of everything. You can go out to the pubs. You can go out to Swan Street and get, you know, bloody maggoted if you want, if you're a Richmond fan. You can kind of, you can, it's, the, it's the best of both worlds in that um, I really like the way that they did the entertainment after the grand final. Like in 2017, the, the, the scenes of Jack Revolt up there singing um, Mr. Brightside with the Killers was awesome. Like, I think we've got something really why unique. Couldn't that have, why couldn't 
can that have happened like a few hours later? I, I don't understand. It's almost like we, or we can't stay up this late or it's so different. It's four hours later. Like, you can still have a barbecue. You can it still play the cricket day. and not watch Carlton. <laughs> still not watch Carlton. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. I just think it's, it, we've never had an issue. And, and for mine, the ratings weren't good enough or much of a difference enough to, to justify holding it back four hours because you had a captive audience in Victoria of people who couldn't leave their house. So it's not like you've got 20 people at one place watching one screen. You've got 20 people at 10 places watching 10 screens. Um, and, and, and even then, like, you know, the ratings were better in some years when it was an afternoon grand final. I'm just saying, I think it is a lot better for uh, audiences of all ages uh, of more time zones. Like I know that doesn't matter in the broad scheme of things, but an afternoon start is a lot better for the UK, uh, the US and all these, you know, Asia, all these sort of areas than, than the, the time that we, that we had on the weekend. Well, as you, as you guys know, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big night grand final fan. And I agree with what Neil said at the start of this segment is that you've got to give it another go because, and I get your frustrations, but You've got to give it another go because this year was so unusual, so out of the box. There was so many different things. That's what the like, AFL the wants. Build- but the build-up was always going to be different this year. Had the- if they played the grand final at 2.30 at the MCG and we had hardly any people there, we didn't have a parade, we couldn't go and do grand final barbecues or whatever you do in Victoria, <laughs> you still would be standing here now saying it didn't feel quite like a grand final day. So you've got to try the night grand final in normal circumstances to get a to get a fair understanding fair. of how whether or not it'll work you blokes need to work, work in gill's pr team because it's exactly what they're going to do they're going to say oh we're going to trial it in victoria this year in 2021 and then by the time 2022 comes around well we've done it the last two years so let's just keep on with it and that way they've seamlessly introduced it and no one can really can really complain anyway we should probably move game on night or things to talk about what would we prefer we should talk about the game 2 30 <laughs> Start time, uh, anyone? Neil? Uh, to be, without throwing the cat amongst the pigeons and, and give, going off on another tangent, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a Twilight Grand Final just to see if it's the best of both worlds and, and fits in both the... But uh, fits in nicely with both camps. Yeah. Jake, Something start like time. Well, I can't... Midnight for Jake. Against what, I just, what I just said, but... I wouldn't mind seeing it. Like, if we do a 2.30, a time that we never use, one of 6.30 start for the grand final, also a time we don't normally use, that means the game will be finished by 9.15-ish. And then you get the, you get the ceremony and the medals, everything's done by quarter to 10. And I don't, that's not late. It's a Saturday night. If you're two years old, tough luck. Wait till right you get on, a bit older right. and you can start and watch the game. Christian, you've got a start time for us. I'll, I'll stick with 2.10, 2.30, whatever it is. All right. Uh, well, look, look, Richmond, um, comprehensive winners on Saturday. It's fair to say they're now a dynasty club and they join the likes of uh, Geelong in, in the, uh, the mid-2000s to early 2010s, Hawthorne from 12 to 15, uh, Brisbane from 2001 to 2004. Like since this century, there have been four dynasty teams. Jake, where does Richmond stand, do you think? Um, amongst these teams, are they the best that we've seen? Are they not quite the best? I mean, where do you have them? Well, it's it's really interesting because this we were talking about this a couple of days ago. the The last twenty years has really been about the dynasties. So there has there's been the the four teams win three and a couple win two. It's only been I think eight three. premiers in total. So sorry, three three yeah, teams so, have won one flag. Yeah, three have won one flag. So I. I know it's going to be a little bit controversial and there's always the recency bias element to it. But I really have Richmond, if not at the top, very, very close to the top, purely because of the way in which they won this year. And again, we don't want to keep talking about the unprecedented nature of 2020. I mean, we all know that. But there were so many factors going against them this year. They didn't play games at the MCG. They put one game at the MCG, which feels like years ago. They went away. They had so many issues. It was, it was only a few months ago that we were sitting on the podcast and a couple of us were saying, you know, have the, has the wheels fallen off, you know, with the Sydney stack, Callum Coleman Jones incident, the Marvio Chole incident, um, the AFLW, what was going on there. There was a lot, there was a few things that were sort of looking like, is this going to be the end of Richmond, the downfall? And they just hung around and they just got better and better. They, they didn't play their best football in the qualifying final, but they hung in there and just like, I said about Dimmer Hardwick staying calm. They, as a team, they just managed to stay calm. 
they weren't over overawed by any of the pressure and they came back and won it and now they've won three out of four and the one they didn't win was probably the one that they should have won they really could have won four in a row if not for a mason cox special they probably would have won four in a row yeah well in their period of dominance so for the four-year period for richmond 17 to 20 they won 75.3 percent of their games Brisbane from 01 to 04 won 74.7, so slightly fewer wins for Brisbane over that period, or a slightly lower percentage, that is. Hawthorne's <coughs> period of dominance from 12 to 15 was 79%. Um, but Geelong from 07 to 2011, or that five-year period, was 84% winning. So, like, Neil, are you confident to say that Richmond is the best dynasty team of this time, or, or does Geelong have oh. it on another side? Oh, I think you can make arguments for all of them. You know, it's it's like comparing players from different eras. You know, who's to say that Wayne Carey was better than Dustin Martin? Like, it's it's there's such finite, you know, there's such fine margins. So, um, I remember Brisbane being probably the best team that I that I'd seen. But then again, I was a younger younger man who'd probably seen less footy, so they were, they're probably on a higher pedestal than the teams that have come twenty years later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, they're they're impossible to, to separate in my mind. The fact that Geelong had a, a greater winning percentage across a longer period of time probably points to them um, being a little bit more dominant. But you know that they play every second week at Cadinia Park, where they they pretty much don't lose at all. So their home ground advantage is pretty significant, which you know ironically has hurt them in the last few finals campaigns. Christian, you've watched a lot of footy over your, your time and, and you've probably looked at the stats longer than any of us, probably all of us combined. I mean, have you got a, a way to, to lean over this period? I'm not saying he's old. I'm just saying he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's right well, in the thick I of mean, it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, especially the last three, Geelong, Hawthorne, Richmond, would, you know, really had the same dearth of stats we've got now. So we've been under compare there. Brisbane probably a bit more early days. But again, even the winning percentage is there. Um, I've always had Geelong slightly ahead. Um, of any of those dynasties and still slightly ahead of Richmond. They were just, just during that, that uh, period, 2007 to 2011, I know they lost the 08 grand final, but nearly every week they rocked up to the ground. And, you know, again, I, I didn't read too much into their home ground advantage, as Neil just pointed out. So it might have been, you know, a big factor, but they could play anywhere and they were just favourites to win by. They always looked like they were a 10 goal better team. Whereas we've seen Richmond, and, and that's why you give Richmond a lot of credit for what they've done. And, you know, they've probably done it the hardest out of all four. Um, so the most impressive because they've lost, you know, Alex Rance um, through a knee injury originally and then retirement and changed their back line. They had, you know, players outside of their hub. You know, we spoke, I don't know how many times on the podcast, we spoke, have the wheels fallen off Richmond or, you know, is this the end of Richmond? You know, and, we, and it started round 10 last year or even earlier when, you know, Alex Rance did do his knee. So, but again, in terms of when I think of, yeah, the most dominant team and across the, you know, long time, it's, it's that those Geelong teams were just, just smashing teams each and every week. And again, from a statistical point of view, they were having, they changed the game. They were having 400 disposals consistently when other teams just hadn't reached that number in their, their club's history. Geelong were doing that weekly. So they changed the way the game was played. Whereas Richmond, we sort of talk about, they can change their game style. They've got the streak. They've got the surge handball, which is, you know, extremely fun to watch. But yeah, I always go back to Geelong as just, yeah, just being that slightly ahead of the other three. I think Geelong had so many, just everywhere you looked on, Throughout that period, there were so many A-grade players. Like they, it was just a teammates. Yeah. Richmond, not so much. And that's that's the impressive thing. They've been able to do this yeah. with a lot of players that you wouldn't say an A-grade player. So the great point of that is that they, they just had the Jack Dyer medal. I think it was last night. And I was just looking at the top ten. I can quickly read the names. I mean, Jaden Short won it. Um, Dustin Martin, superstar, probably Hall of Famer. Nick Vlosten, Shai Bolton, Camden McIntosh, Liam Baker, Dylan Grimes, Noah Bolter, Kane Lambert, and then Trent Cochin came tenth. So again, if you compare that to the list of names of Geelong, we're probably getting rolling through their top ten in their BNF. Richmond have done it with a much more team effort, and that's what again, that's what gives me you know play slightly more. Yeah, it's remarkable. It gives me slightly more bonus points towards Richmond's dynasty. They've, they've done it in a different way. They've done it in such a team uh, club level, and I, I think Geelong did the same because they had the whole Mark Thompson. You know, they almost cleaned out Mark Thompson. I think they had a whole club review and they turned it around. Richmond are the same. We spoke about you know the board coop being brought up, Brendan Gale's vision. It, it clearly, you know, for other clubs looking at it, clearly starts off field for a lot of these clubs to, to provide these, you know, long-term dynasties. Absolutely. Uh, Neil, you mentioned Dusty before. Uh, surely he now he's in the discussion to be the AFL GOAT by the end of his career. I mean, his resume is impressive. Jake, I know that you, um, you did some digging. His grand final averages, so his average stats in grand finals, okay. are just ridiculous. I think he said 
uh, 23 touches, three goals, and three Norm Smiths. I know he averages a Norm Smith a grand final. So, I mean, Neil... He averages a Norm... Averages a Norm Smith, a premiership, 24 touches and 3.3 goals a grand final. <laughs> I mean, pretty decent. <laughs> could, he, could he be the AFL's GOAT? I mean, is he Richmond's GOAT now? Is he the best big game player we've ever seen? I mean, there are, there are so many sort of categories you can put him in. Where are you putting him? Neil, sorry. Are you talking to me, Matthew? I am, yes. <laughs> sorry, I thought we were going to let Jake have <laughs> It's he, He's in every conversation. He's in the conversation... I think he's almost, he's got to be considered one of the, probably the best big game player that certainly we've ever seen. Yeah. Is he Richmond's goat and the AFL's goat? He's got to be in that conversation. I heard Brendan Gale talking about, you know, he just post game uh, on the weekend, he was talking about, is, is Dustin Martin the best player you've seen? And he still said Wayne Carey. So he mm-hmm. said, yeah, Dusty's really approaching him and he had played on Wayne Carey. And so it's interesting that he's been, you know, involved with Dustin's you know, journey and he still thinks that he's just getting to that level. But he's still, he's still probably 20, got four or five, six years of footy. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not unimaginable to think that he might become the GOAT. But I think it's, it's, he's not quite at that level yet because he doesn't dominate regular seasons as much as you know, the other people in those conversations do. But, I mean, gosh, he's certainly the best big game player I've seen and he's, you know, in five years' time, we might be talking about him in that, in that respect. I mean, you look at his game uh, and how he was used, Jake, and then you look at Patrick Dangerfield, who's a similar kind of midfield forward hybrid and how he was used. Um, you've been quite vocal about how Dangerfield's been used throughout the year. I mean, how do you look at the, the contrast of, of, of those games by two Brownlow medalists uh, and, and the, the impact they had on the result? I mean, where, where do you sort of sit on, on, on the comparison between these two? Well, I think they're the two best players in the comp. Um, that five probably a little bit stiff, but I, I think they're the two best players when they're playing in the right position. And the difference is, you know, we, we, I don't want to sit here and bag Chris Scott for the next 20 minutes, but I certainly could. But it was just ludicrous. It was insane to just play Dangerfield, basically. He may as well have been sitting on the bench. He had no impact. He was just standing in the, in the forward line, while particularly in the second half as Richmond just steamrolled them. And it was all Dustin Martin. The biggest dif- difference is Martin can play in the midfield and still kick goals. Danger can do that too. But they want to they have this line between Dangerfield's either playing as a forward or he's in the midfield. Whereas Martin can play this high, mid- high midfield, high forward sort of role where he can still kick goals. And I'm pretty sure all the four goals he kicked, they were all... They were all um, he didn't kick a set shot. Well, were no. all four of his goals on the run? Yeah, so cutting and snapping. Yeah, so that kind of just... He had one set shot for the night, and I think it was one of the, one of the ones where he missed it by about yeah, four metres. <laughs> yeah, so that's the difference. And, and you know, the, the craziest part was, and I think everyone <coughs> was sort of in this camp now, is that, you know, the game was on the line. Um, you, got, you got one of those two best players dominating on his way to a third Norm Smith. And you got the other one not having any impact on the game. And I think Dangerfield finished with 12 disposals for the match. That was his lowest in a game in a year and a half. And it's just, wow. it's just insane to I think. Mean, yeah. Christian, we, we sort of talk about how they are similar players in that they can play dual roles. But fundamentally, they're quite different about how they get their shots at goals. Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, sort of Neil asked the question too about, yeah, sort of noticed they do sort of get their goals a different way. And the numbers certainly stack up. With that, so I sort of used 2016 to 2020 um, numbers for him. So in that time, Dusty's kicked 131 goals, Dangerfield's kicked 137, um, and they've both been about, I think it was close to 50-50 split as mid-forwards across those five years. Um, So yeah, Dusty's kicked 42% of his goals from set shots, Dangerfield's up at 62%. So a 20% difference between the two is a clear clear different way that they're getting their shots at goal and being used as forwards. And exactly back to Jake's point, he's right. Dusty can sort of kick goals as that, you know, he, he can, he can start deep into the goal square, but he doesn't have to kick it, be the marking target to kick goals and kick goals from the stoppages and out of play. Whereas Dangerfield, yeah, 62% of his goals come from either a mark or a free kick uh, in front of goal. So he's as good as he is around the ground as a clearance player um, and a ground ball winner. It's sort of not the way he gets his goal. So, it's almost like Geelong have to make that call. If we want scoreboard impact from Dangerfield, we need to start him from the goal square and hit him up on a lead or try to get him in those contests. 
Um, but if we want him to win clearances, we're going to have to move into the midfield, but he doesn't kick a lot of goals that way, history tells us. So, um, but again, looking, it was interesting to me. We, we did record Dusty as playing more um, time forward on the night than Dangerfield. So it's one of those discussions. Richmond wins and everyone praises Dusty and he kicks four goals and Danger couldn't get it. But who knows to say whether, you know, Dangerfield kicks the three or four. Dusty had spent 80% of his time as a forward across the night as well. So people might, you know, called it the other way and said it was, it was um, you know, the wrong, the wrong move to make leaving Dusty for for so long. So I was surprised to see those numbers because it did feel like Dusty was getting into the midfield more, but he, he probably just roams more as a high half forward when he is playing as a forward, whereas Dangerfield is closer to the goal square when he's starting forward. And it's almost like, I think Dusty does, does what he does. And wants. the other thing I like about... Yeah, I like the fact that Richmond will always put him into the centre bounce for to, to start the game or start a quarter or every time a goal's kicked. Dusty will always be almost always in there unless he's off the ground. And then he'll go back to the forward line. Dangerfield was he was unsighted in the, in any centre bounce. He was only in there for a couple of them in the second half. It was half. shocking coaching. It's just crazy. To leave him there. Yeah, and, and I've seen some some uh, some yarns and some opinions in defence of Scott, but. It, it's a problem they've consistently had is, is having impact from Dangerfield. Uh, like his Brownlow year was this unbelievable. Has going, this has been going on. If he plays in the midfield, he's the best player in the comp. He's not playing in his best, in his best position. You may as well play Tom Hawkins at fullback. This yeah. is the same thing. You're playing a player, probably the best in their position, out of their position. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. And it's not the grand final. Everyone was talking about it on grand final day. I've been saying this for three years. It's the same problem with the Cats. And that was always going to be their downfall. Is that the fact that you've got to get your best player into the game. Looking ahead to next year, you wonder whether the problem might be solved for Geelong. Um, whatever yes, is agreed. in Chris Scott's mind, you wonder whether the addition of Jeremy Cameron with Hawkins means that Danger doesn't have to be a second marking target. And he can agreed. pretty much play the majority of his time in the midfield. That might be... Yeah, that might take the, the issue out of out of Scott's hands for him. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's they're they're trying to use him as a foil as a second marking target. And while they play two rucks like like Stanley and Blitzars in that side, Radigalee is going to, not going to get a job. And Stanley and Blitzars aren't as effective as forward. I mean, Blitzars is a great defender if he wants to play down there, or he can play in the ruck. Whereas you can't play three sort of that that tall plus Hawkins. Um, I think Jeremy Cameron fixes a lot of those issues. I think you're right, Neil. Um, while we're on stats, uh, Christian, you would have seen some of the, the more interesting bits and pieces from the weekend's action. Is there anything that stands out or that stood out on Saturday as unusual, different, predictable, unpredictable? Um, anything Champion Data noticed? Um, I mean, there's a myriad of numbers, but I'll probably stick to the one that sort of, again, we sort of talk about how you score and that's what, that's what you want to do. And again, it was just amazing. So Richmond kicked 64 points from forward half intercepts. Um, against Geelong. So that's Geelong turning the ball over in their back half and having, you know, 64 points kicked against them, uh, which is, you know, the most against them in the last three or four years. Um, and the overall, uh, they scored, Richmond scored 76 points from turnovers across the game, which was, again, I think it's the fourth most Geelong have conceded. Uh, but it's been a bit of a problem in Geelong. So three of those top eight games in the last four years have been in finals. So there was the qualifying final against Richmond, um, season was that hanging I got it season and then there was the Adelaide prelim that they also conceded um, over a hundred points from turnovers in the end so the prelim in 2017 was 111 points against Adelaide uh, the grand final against Richmond that's yeah as I said the fifth most 76 points they conceded from turnovers and 68 they conceded against in 2017 again the qualifying final against Richmond so um, for how well Geelong structure up and you know, don't usually get scored against heavily from turnovers in the home and away season. There's been a couple of finals in the last few years where they've really been opened up. But again, if you're looking at, you know, the, the, probably the biggest number that points to how Richmond won that game was, yeah, their ability to sort of score from Geelong back half turnovers was, yeah, um, as good as we've ever, see, ever seen against a team like Geelong was so good at protecting those, those turnovers. Jake, you said it. It was so noticeable, the pressure on the Cats and how fumbly and um, mistake-ridden their game became after halftime. Jake. Yeah, they were so clean in the first half. I mean, we were talking about it a lot, and it just um, they couldn't they couldn't pick the ball up in the second half. It was bizarre. It was the, the Martin goal before half time that kept them in the game was critical because it just meant that everything after that they were they were then nervous from that point. They were on the back foot and they just they were making mistakes. 
Mm. Yeah, that's telling. Uh, and, and it makes a lot of sense if you go back and watch the footage. Guys, um, look, Gary Ablett, I'd oh, be remiss of us to not talk about him and his impact on, on footy, uh, given he played his last game on the weekend. Uh, Neil, you would have followed his career closely. I mean, when he started, I was a bit of a, a kid and, and might not have taken, uh, I guess, the build-up to his first game and his first few seasons as seriously as a lot of people, you know, given his, given his pedigree. But what is Gary Ablett's legacy going into his retirement? I mean, where does he sort of sit? Um, what has he done for the game? The, the move to the Gold Coast? How do you sum him up? Yeah, it's, there are many layers to his stories now. And look, looking at him... So the reason why I'm loath to suggest that Dusty might be the GOAT is on the same ground as him, there might be a player on that 44 who's going to have a better career. That's why I'd like, and that's just one, that's just one group of 44 players. So that's why I'm kind of a little bit loath to say, yes, he's, Dusty is definitely the GOAT because, you know, Gary Ablett's possibly one of the best of all time as well, um, looking back at his career. And the other part that I find humorous um, you know, in my internal debates that you sometimes have um, when it's a bit quiet. His dad, <laughs> Gary Senior, was probably, he's in my top couple that I've ever seen. And then he has a son that is somehow possibly in, possibly even better than his dad. So he, he's, he's absolutely right up there with his consistency of match winning. You know, the fact that he almost revolutionised the way midfielders can get 30 touches every week and kick a goal every week. Um, talk about dual threats, you know, whenever he's, you know, drifts forward, his, his goal sense is amazing. Um, yeah, but he, he, he wouldn't just have, you know, a good final series or he wouldn't just play two or three good games and, and, and not do so well for it, go quiet. He, his level of extraordinary performance was probably for about a decade better than everyone else's. And it's almost think, a shame that a bit of it got lost in, in when he moved up to Gold Coast. People probably didn't yeah. see arguably some of the best of what Gary Ablett had, had to do on the footy field. And in a harder, in a worse team too. So he's getting tagged 100% every week. And there was that one game that sort of sums up, his, a little bit sums up to me, his Gold Coast career was the 54 touches or 53 that he had against Collingwood at the MCG. And he just, just got bagged on for two days straight afterwards of saying he did nothing. He tried to carry that. They, were, they lost that game by three goals, I think, or... Within that game, that, that was the, the stage where they were losing every week by 10 or 11 goals. So he did everything he could to um, get him over the line. And, he, you know, sort of it was a bit it was like too many touches for some people. But I, you look at Gary Ablett, I think the thing that makes him such an enjoyable player to watch is you look at, you know, the other great players that we sort of talk about, Lance Franklin, 190-odd centimetres and moves like the wind. Dustin Martin's got, you know, so much strength that no one else has. Gary Ablett was never the fastest player. He was never the tallest player. He was never the strongest player. He's not... I know he's, you know, a meticulous preparer, but he was never a high GP. You know, he's not Tom Scully or Andrew Gaff that just clocked up the kilometres. He was just a pure footballer that was so good at football. He didn't have, you know, he didn't, he didn't sort of, yeah, he wouldn't rock up to a football field and you think, geez, that guy looks better than everyone. He just looked like everyone else. But he made things seem easy. The, the drop punts from the boundary line, yeah. the, you know, getting the clearance and then getting forward at the end of, the, you know, starting the chain and ending the chain and kicking the goal. Um, I think that's why... To me, he's yeah, probably one of the greatest players I've seen just because he didn't have any, besides his father, who was probably, you know, the, the, the genes in him. He didn't have that great starting point. He wasn't, yeah, he didn't have that, that athletic sort of gifted ability that some of the other guys have. I think two of, the, two of the great players, that have, and, and I, I don't like using the word great or legendary players a lot because I feel like it is used too much, but two of the best that have retired in the last five years, Gary Ablett and Adam Goods, and for very different reasons. I'm not saying they're the same by any means, but for very, very different reasons. I feel like they both haven't quite been appreciated towards the end of their career. We all know what happened with Adam Goods, but it's the same with Gary Ablett. I, I feel like he just, in his last two years at the Cats, all it's ever been is uh, he's not as good as he was, or uh, he's not a top 10 player anymore. It's like, yeah, but he's been doing it for 15 years. Like, what do you expect? He's just going to be the best player in the league from day one to the last day. Like, of Tom, course Tom Brady's doing happen. it at the Bucks. But I, but I tell you what, you know, you just look at... Even Gary Ablett, with, with, you know, he, any other game, he probably doesn't come back on the field, but he still manages to get mm. a couple of those clever handballs off, setting up goals. And mm. he's just such a... Christian nailed it. He's such a smart player. His, his 25, 30-metre balls inside 50... You know, he's the kind of player that, you know, you get handball received 40 out running directly at goal. He's probably the D player you'd want taking a shot for your life. Like, you just know he's so deadly and so accurate. 
Well yeah. said. All right, we got it. on about. I'll just I'll just quickly reinforce what Jake said about the fact that he's maybe unappreciated. The the players that decide for whatever reason to retire while they're still at their best of the game, that probably shows why they might want to. The fact that they're still playing great footy, and there's nothing wrong with playing one or two extra seasons if you think you can still contribute and the club wants you to but it probably does take the gloss off a little bit if you're not performing at your best in your last year or two so that probably I think the the public sort of reception of of Gary and and Goodsey uh, in different ways is probably because they did drop off a tiny bit but that's entirely natural you know for a 30 mid-30s player but the, the drop off from such a high level to yeah. a little bit lower I mean <laughs> we were talking a bit last year at one point, Gary Ablett was averaging 20 disposals and a goal a game. And he was one of only three players in the league doing that. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's incredible to think that he cops the criticism because, you know, if you go from that 10 out of 10 to a 9 out of 10, saying, well, he's not as good anymore. No, he's not, but he's still damn good. Yeah, uh, we'll miss watching the little master go about his things in 2021 and beyond, that's for sure. We should move on, though, uh, because I know that Richmond fans are probably still reveling in all this sort of glory and, and happiness and, and euphoria, but... Um, as far as the clubs, the other clubs, <laughs> they've had their eyes on trade and free agency markets uh, for, for a while now, Neil. I mean, some more big news dropping in, in recent days. Adam Trelaw looks to be on the way out of Collingwood due to calorie, salary cap squeeze. Calorie sap is what I was going to say there. Uh, could be looking to go for the Suns. Are they becoming a destination club? I don't know if they're becoming a destination club. I think there's a bit of two and two equals four with this situation, as there is all the time with, with trades. Until they actually happen, there's a lot of... Um, a speculation and, and trying to join the dots. But the fact that his wife and, and the young child is, is moving up to Queensland for a netball career, I think it points to the fact that he might be uh, a potential target for the Suns and the Giants. The Suns are desperate for another really big midfield name. So, and they, uh, by all accounts, they went for him last year. So it looks like a good fit. And the, the most surprising thing for me is that the Pies are really, seem to be really happy to let him go. He, he seems to love the club um, at one point. Yeah, really bizarre. And you look at players like Jordan Degoe, who, who, you know, a few indiscretions, a few off-field bits and pieces, uh, mm. and they're still crash hot on him. But a bloke who's been loyal, pretty, pretty easygoing, uh, a good performer, re- resilient injury-wise, and they're happy to pay some of his salary to the team that wants to take him off the books. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't really fit right with me. If I was a Collingwood supporter, I'd be a bit disillusioned mm. with, with this list management decision. Um, and he actually, as a player, gives their midfield a point of difference. Like they, they don't mm-hmm. Taylor Adams, Pendle, Sybrodham, they're all reasonably one paced, and, and yeah, Troll has yeah, that acceleration. Workmanlike, yeah. Yeah. So the so, Suns, I mean, yeah. they're getting another A grade player in, on, on the books, and, yeah. and would one that really five, short. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, right. with pick five, <laughs> whether it's a straight swap with pick five, maybe, you know, the fact that Collingwood is so desperate for them, that gives the Suns a bit of hand in the bargaining. Maybe they want something back in return as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he'll be great for the Suns, that, that mature body as well. Um, you know, they've got those the magnificent young talent that we all drool over, but if they get one or two more senior bodies, then, then that, that, they can't knock that back. Uh, for all the players that say they want to leave Essendon, looks like Josh Dunkley and Jai Caldwell could make their way to Windy Hill, Jake. Uh, are we not all doom and gloom at, the, uh, at Essendon? I mean, it looks like we're... We're, we're seeing a bit of a resurgence, I guess, from the Bombers. Are, are they still going to slide down the ladder, you think, even if they can get these names? Jake, got, got you there? Uh, was that directed at me? Yes, yeah, sorry. It certainly um, was. A few, uh, internet troubles down here. Very uh, funny, funny, isn't it? Dunkley. <laughs> Dunkley. Well, I think... Yeah, it's funny. We were talking with Rowan Connolly, a, a Bombers tragic before, and he, um, he still thinks they're in a pretty dire situation. I tend to agree. I probably don't think it's as dire as what he does, but I don't think, as good as Josh Dunkley is, I don't think that's going to really turn the football club around. I still think they've got a lot of rebuilding to do, and I still think the list needs a lot of work. But you've got to start somewhere, and a player, Josh Dunkley, young, good midfielder, he's performed really well in the forward line as well. I think he's he's a great start if they can if they can nab him. Mm, absolutely. And uh, Neil, your mob, the D's, look like uh, Ben Brown's of interest and, and would fill a much-needed uh, hole in that forward line, you'd think. Yeah, it would. I think it seems to be that Melbourne would be keen on Ben Brown um, if they can get Tom uh, McDonald off off the books because Ben Brown obviously commands a fair salary and Tom McDonald signed his um, contract when he was at the top of his game. So I don't think Melbourne would want to have two key forwards, late career key forwards on about, you know, six, seven, eight hundred grand a year. Mm. 
Um, so all signs point to the fact that McDonald might might seek a fresh start. And and Ben Brown on the cheap, you know, he's been basically been pushed out the door by by North Melbourne, a guy that kicks sixty goals regularly until this year when he got injured and um, just really struggled. You know, he's he's twenty seven, twenty eight. He, he still might be there when Melbourne, you know, their list matures. So you know, if Melbourne doesn't give up too much for him, it, it makes sense. Um, probably allows Sam Wiedemann to grow a bit more, getting the number two key defender as well. So. Yeah, it, 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 it does make sense if, it, if, if, they, do, if they go for it. If, uh, if Brown can raise the D's of, yeah, efficiency inside 50, I'm sure that's a win. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the fact that he, you know, he is before this year has been so durable and, and such a good goal kicker. And, and Melbourne seem to get their defence right this year. Their midfield mm. is powerful, if not being maybe utilised that well. And it's the, the connection from the mids to the forwards and the, the, the goal kicking prowess that, that we're lacking. So for sure. Yeah, it'd be um, interesting to see if that one happens. Names are flying basically in and out of every door at the moment. I mean, as soon as the silly season starts, it's, it's kind of hard to keep track. But uh, ESPN expert Chris Dorry has put together, uh, he's gone through every list basically and, and looked at where every list can be improved and their needs and has, has come up with some really interesting trade and free agency ideas. That piece is live on ESPN.com.au. Uh, so if you're, you're wondering what your club looks like it should need and, and who they should be chasing, he's, he's got you covered in a, in a really comprehensive piece um, Neil, speaking of comprehensive pieces, we had our way too early predictions come out as well uh, during the week. Uh, looking forward to 2021, we've all sort of put our uh, our caps on thinking forward and, and have come up with some some bits and pieces. I mean, what do you see, uh, just as a little bit of a preview, you can go and read this on ESPN.com.au, but just as a little preview, where do you think 2021 is going to head? Yeah, they're called way too early predictions because they are way too early. And I think in our in our piece, we talk about the fact that so much can happen, you know, free agency and, and trading and drafting that can, you know, flip a club on its head either way. I think my big ones, my big two predictions were um, for West Coast to, to really rise up the ladder. I think they'll be a lot happier on their home deck every second week, assuming that the season goes back to normal next year. I've got a, a concern about, their ageing list, but I think they can give it one last crack. I think I've got them penciled in for to play in the grand final next year. Uh, and going the other way, I had the Pies actually falling out of the eight. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about their scoring potency um, and the fact that yeah, they, they're getting a bit old too, and I, I can see them dropping off a little bit again. Mm, you're, you're going with the Eagles, what I did with Geelong this year, thinking they've probably got the, the premiership, yeah. open, premiership window open for another year and, and see what happens after that. Jake, big call from you heading into 2021. Yeah, I actually tend to agree with what Neil said. Um, West Coast, I really was hot on West Coast this year before everything happened. And I, I feel like it's going to be pretty, not much will have changed in terms of we'll be going back to reset everything again. And I think West Coast, as Neil said, playing at home where they're, they're very, very difficult to beat. Um, they're much better at the MCG now. So, yeah, I think West Coast is going to have a really good year. I also don't think Geelong's going to fall off the cliff that everyone's sort of expecting. Yes, this was a great chance to win a flag, but certainly not the end. I mean, particularly if they can get Jeremy Cameron in, they're going to have probably the two best key forwards in the league in their, in their side. And if that means Dangerfield goes back to the midfield, they've got a pretty scary midfield as well and a really strong offence. So, um I like the fact that those the, those two sides will be right up there and, you know, it's hard to see Richmond falling. Yeah, I think um, I, I agree with both of you. I think the, the Eagles will come back up and, and Geelong won't be as... Uh, I don't think they're... Well, we're going to get into this question in justified hype or hyperbole in a second, but we basically answered it. Their premiership window, I think, is still open with the acquisition of Jeremy Cameron and potentially someone like Sean Higgins as well. Um, they've just extended that window a little bit and, and they can have another crack next year. I also think, uh, I think North's going to struggle. I think they're going to be my wooden spooners. I think we all had North as a wooden spooner, just off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yep. and um, my big call for the year was the Blues are going to be back. They're back in the eights. Uh, <laughs> I'll get a couple of pieces together this year. They'll scrape in, uh, probably lose in the first round, but uh, that was my big call. So we'll see how that goes. Christian, uh, just while we've got you, not to, make, uh, not to keep you out of the loop, have you got a big call for next year? Nice early one. Sun's going to win a game. Uh-huh. No, I, I, Neil's already probably stolen the one, so I don't think it's that big anymore. But yeah, really, really early call. Yeah, Collingwood chance to miss the top eight next year. Um, again, depending on what the off season holds for them. But um, yeah, if you if you had to if I had to make one big call early, that that's probably my one. We'll Fair definitely enough. revisit this after after all the trades and everything's the draft free everything's done and dusted. So we'll we'll probably have to rejig our ladders a little bit. 
we we sure will. Uh, like I said, justified hype or hyperbole, uh, the segment where I say a statement and you guys tell me if I'm talking in hyperbole or if the hype is justified. We talked about Geelong and I think we're all in agreement that the premiership window is not yet closed. Uh, they've extended a little bit. So I'll just go into the, straight into the second question. The pre-game and, and halftime entertainment works better at night for a grand final, Jake. Uh, I think it does. But again, I don't really see why... I don't think the entertainment should be the, a, a major factor in determining whether the grand finals play at night or during the day. 100%. Yep, Neil, same. 100%. Completely agree with Jake. But yeah, it might be a little bit better at night, but we shouldn't be making decisions based on whether, you know, some neon lighting... It's just an added bonus cool. if, it's, if it's better. Christian? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't see any of it, so... I was... I muted the TV at halftime. <laughs> I, did, I did get the comment from, you know, and it's probably something we've all known from Grand Final Days as well. They'll, they'll call us at the, the guys in the, at the ground at the Gabba said, that, you know, the acoustics just don't work at a football stadium for, for a music concert. It was sort of, it was okay. He said the light show was better than, because you could barely hear the, you know, the vocals and things like that, which I noticed <laughs> in Grand Final Days as well. So, yeah. Just, just keep it to the footy for me. Agreed. I think uh, entertainment works the same regardless of the time of day. And um, the night aspect of it didn't add nor take away anything too remarkable. So, look, maybe it is, uh, you know, up, up to the people at home and, and you might get some fringe people on board with uh, a light show and some fancy um, fireworks and all that. But I think those that care about the footy just really care about the footy. So, uh, like, we, uh, like I said, it's been a big year. Um, thank you all for, for listening throughout the year. We've got a couple of special uh, podcast editions coming up, but this will be it for a little bit until after the uh, trade and free agency periods. And then we'll, we'll try and get Chris Dory, the, uh, the draft expert, on for another episode uh, later in the year when the draft is uh, on its way. Christian, thanks for joining us throughout the year again. Uh, we appreciate all your hard work. Um, coming on the podcast each week with all your other commitments. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Jake, Neil, uh, I'll speak to you in a couple of minutes once we're done with the podcast, but good to have you <laughs> on as well. Thank you. It's been a big year. <laughs> it has been a big year. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll speak to you later in, in, in the year and then uh, we'll pick up pace again uh, in 2021. So guys, thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.